Nobody ever had a sore throat or a cough or a sneeze or anything prior to that time. <laughs> it's just uh, amazing to watch how this thing has developed. Nonetheless, there are still those things, but I think it is wise that we be careful and, and kind of quarantine ourselves when we do have health issues or symptoms that could be various things. I don't suppose we even need to spread a sore throat. Those aren't much fun either. So <laughs> uh, if we have anything of that nature, it's it's best to stay home. Thankfully, we do have uh, telephones and an opportunity that we can at least dial in when we can't be here in person. Nice to have everybody in person, but that isn't always and every time the case. Anyway, <clears throat> we're down into... Uh, the Minor Prophets to the level of Micah, the sixth book, uh, having just gone through Obadiah showing how uh, Esau's kin, the Edomites, are going to be a part of the destruction of Israel, just as they very, very much had a part in the destruction of this end-time church. I trace the names, I think I've mentioned this, of Stanley Rader and Joseph Dukach, and they definitely have uh, Edomite connections back there. So it applies both to the church as we go through here and to the nation. And they are solidly entrenched uh, in the government uh, behind the scenes, in the American government, in the European governments as well. And then the curious story of Jonah who had a commission of God. His name was Dove, as I think I mentioned last week. Uh, he was not a war eagle, uh, not a hawk. His name was Dove. And in some respects, his personality, I think, showed there in that he did not want to go preach uh, a very austere and strong message to the Ninevites, and of course we discussed the politics of that because he wanted Nineveh destroyed for their sins so they could not be used to punish Israel. So he didn't want war anywhere in Israel, although he would have been content had God allowed Nineveh to be destroyed at that time. So that's kind of the way that came. I, I don't know exactly how that might fit here in the end time. But uh, as I commented, I do believe that uh, sometime here in the end, there will be or has been someone who was having difficulty accepting a job that God gives. doesn't have to be the same job, but uh, it's sandwiched in here. Uh, and the Assyrian, of course, is coming on our nation, and Micah gets into that as does Nahum, and on through Zephaniah, Habakkuk, uh, that that is coming, and it did come to the church. It has been destroyed, and now it is in the midst of happening in the nation. It hasn't fallen completely, but it's teetering, and it's coming apart day by day by day. So it is here, and it is on us. It's not something in the prophecies of the future. It's a day-by-day -day watch to see what happens today that's worse than yesterday. Uh, 
for instance, just one thing that comes to mind, they supposedly had isolated the smallpox vaccine to two laboratories on Earth, just two, who even had a sample of the smallpox vaccine because they wanted to keep it under control. Now we're hearing from here and there, different sources, that they've got the vaccine out of the bottle, out of those two labs, and they're currently making a vaccine against it. Why? If it was totally isolated, couldn't get out, it only had two samples left on Earth, why would you need a major vaccine? unless you intended to lose smallpox and then have a so-called vaccine like the COVID vaccine, which is a total... No, it's not a joke. I started to call it a joke. It's not a joke. It's a very bizarre thing that has been done to us. And this is the same, and I'm hearing here and there that they're going to combine Ebola and smallpox and loosen it on the population of the earth. They are bound and determined to kill at least 90% of the people on earth. So, this thing is going on even as we sit here today. Now, we get down to Micah, and it turns its attention back to uh, Israel, all of Israel, uh, the, the ten tribes as well as Judah. So this is the word of the Eternal that came to Micah, the Morisite, in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. So Samaria represented uh, the ten tribes, their capital being Samaria, and Jerusalem was under the control of the Jews, Levites, and Benjamites. So Micah prophesied for some time, and in fact, Isaiah came along right after. There's a quote or two in Isaiah from Micah, and maybe there's some overlap here because the message is somewhat the same, especially at the beginning of Isaiah about God's being upset with our nations. So this is about... All Israel, all of the tribes. So he says, Hear, all you people, hearken, O earth, and all that therein is. So this is a message to Israel, but he says, Hear, all you people, and hearken, O earth. This is a message specifically to Israel, but he says, Wherever you are on earth, listen up. Because what happens to Israel will have impact on everybody else. Now truly, God has sent the Assyrian. He made it clear and is sending uh, a coalition of nations against America. And that is getting stronger by the day. The threats are getting louder day by day. Uh, more bombers and more fighters are showing up in places that are a provocation from Russia and the U.S. So World War III is truly building right in front of us. 
And God said he will destroy us by using the Assyrian and the Confederacy with them. But then he is going to turn his anger on them as well for doing what they did to us. So God is against everything evil. So this will eventually affect everyone because we are in that time in prophecy where everything is very close together. Uh, these things will not happen and then have a 50 or 100 year break and then the next thing happen. From now on, it's one on top of the other. So it won't be long after our destruction that God is going to turn forces loose against the rest of the earth through his remnant church and other ways uh, with the trumpets and on and on it goes. So here all you people could be uh, just to Israel, but hearken, O earth, seems to include everyone that this message would be good to listen to no matter who you are. And all that therein is, and let the eternal God be witness against you, the eternal from his holy temple. So the first witness, as always, is to Israel, then to the Gentiles, just as Christ said, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Uh, but he did speak to the Gentile some while he was here on the earth, not just Israel. He tended to ignore them to some degree unless they were shoved at him, just as he is ignoring them right now and what Satan is doing with them until it's time for their use. Meantime, this message is particularly for Israel. For behold, the Eternal comes forth out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. Now, the first meaning in history, in prophecy generally, is when it speaks of high places and mountains, it's high up in government, or hills is the lower uh, echelons of government. Now, uh, it doesn't mean that there isn't going to be some change even in the physical hills and mountains. But is God's wrath against the mountains here? Not really, they're just sitting there looking pretty. His wrath is against the people and the governments and those who listen to Satan. So I think first and foremost you can mention that. Now he may he may change the terrain somewhat, but that isn't what this message is for. The hills don't hear a witness. Well, this is a verbal witness. And the mountains shall be molten under him, and the valleys shall be cleft as wax before the fire, and as the waters that are poured down a steep place. So we can imagine that happening on a geographical basis. Uh, so he uses that analogy to talk about the governments coming down just like we would picture the mountains coming down and the valleys being exalted. Is his church anything but a, va a valley? <laughs> a small people, fear not little flock. God begins small, 
He's going to start very small with a remnant of his people, but they are going to wind up uh, having power over the kings and the nations of the earth through the two witnesses and those who are backing them as the remnant. So he can work in his power through a small and base and weak people, giving them strength. And I think that's what he's saying to Zerubbabel and to all of us there in Zechariah 4 when he says, not by might, not by strength as a human being, you can do nothing but by my power, says the Eternal. So we always have to keep that in mind and be humble and not become proud and vain and egotistical thinking we're such a much when God begins to use some people to do some things that have great power. Because it's easy for humans to become vain and egotistical and think they're doing something, think they'll solve the problem. No, God will solve the problems, and he'll use human beings to some degree or another if they're meek, if they're humble, if they're not presumptuous, he can use them. But he says, pride, presumptuousness, it's out. He will not use people who are that way. But meek and humble, even there in Zephaniah, he says, come out from among her before the decree of destruction If you are meek and humble, or two words similar to that he uses there, then maybe God will protect you. If you're not, you're on your own. So when Christ tells us to be poor in spirit and meek and mourning and humble, he means it. That's what he means. If he gives us a message like he did Micah, or some of these others, he intends us to go with it. But presumption is something that he has been very, very strong about all through history. Korah, Nathan and Abiram, Ananias and Sapphira, you name it. Anybody who stands up and says, I'll fix everything, uh, gets in trouble. That's just the way that it is. It's the way God works. So, if God's calling us to do something, he'll let us know in his own way. He's tired of Satan, and that's where it all comes from, being presumptuous and thinking he would take over the kingdom of God and that he could rule it better than God could. No, he couldn't, and God proved to him that he couldn't, and his punishment is still before him. So God is tired of Satan and man presuming to be able to rule themselves their way. Not going to happen. So he's going to bring it all down. For the transgression of Jacob is all this. That tells you right there in the context that the geographical analogy in verse 4 is about people. It's about the transgression of Jacob is all this, and for the sins of the house of Israel, what is the transgression of Jacob? Now, God says that's what he's punishing for, but what is it? Is it not Samaria? 
And what are the high places of Judah? Are they not Jerusalem? Here he lays it on the leaders of Israel and Jerusalem, of Samaria and Jerusalem, of all Israel. And Isaiah said it uh, when he said, It's sick from the head to the foot. The very highest to the very lowest. It's sick. This nation is that way. We look today and we behold the sickness that is in Washington, D.C., or in NATO, or in the heads of the European states. Absolutely out of their minds, bonkers sick. And it goes all the way down to the individual in the lowest places who are also breaking the laws of God left and right with no compunction. So he says, there's where the problem lies. Therefore, I will make Samaria as a heap of the field and as plantings of a vineyard, and I will pour down the stones thereof into the valley, and I will discover the foundations thereof. He's going to break the governments down to the very foundation. Supreme Court will be gone, Congress will be gone, President will be gone, everything down to the foundations are going to be stripped and knocked down into the valleys, into the low places, so that those who have set themselves up on high are going to be as low as the low. Those on the wrong side of the track or bottom of the valley, however you want to put it. And all the graven images thereof shall be beaten to pieces. All our idol worship, whatever it might be, our literature, our music, our governments, our schools, our everything we do in this society and in this culture, our corporations, our businesses, cheating, lying, stealing, uh, all going to be beaten down to pieces. And all the hires thereof shall be burned with fire. And all the idols thereof will I lay desolate, all the things that we put before God including self, because we are our greatest idol. And God is going to strike down and destroy most people by the time this is done, because we have made ourselves into idols. Anything we put before God is an idol, and we put ourselves before God continually as a nation. And sadly, even those who are seeking and trying to obey God put themselves ahead of him all so often, not giving him the due respect for what he is and does and finding other solutions to our problems than God and putting ourselves and our desires and our wants ahead of God's way. It's so easy to do. And, and we're working at it. We're fighting it, and yet we still struggle. That's why we call on God. That's why we turn to Him. That's why we pray. It's so that we might put all our idols away from us and worship Him with all our heart, mind, body, and soul. That's what He desires of us. That's the direction we need to be going. And if we're not praying that direction and praying that way fervently, how are we going to get there? 
I was reminded this morning of a sermon I gave, oh, years ago. I think it was right in the first feast or two when we first started in Zion. And the theme of it basically was, you may want to go somewhere that you have never been, but you cannot get there unless you do something different than you have ever done. If you're going to make something happen, you have to do something you've never done before. Because if you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to keep doing what you're doing. And that won't change. You have to think about it and think. I want to go here. How am I going to get there? Because I don't seem to be getting there right now. A dream is no good unless it's followed up by action. That's why God requires action of us. We might dream of his kingdom, of peace, of happiness, of joy, of blessing, but we'll never get there unless we make some changes in order to make it along that road. That's why he calls on us to repent, to change, to grow, to overcome. Uh, Whatever it is in our character, in our life, that needs attention. And if you can't find anything in your life that needs attention, uh, you might just go around and poll everybody and see if they can help you find something. (laughs) I'm sure you'll come up with some things to work on. Whether they were right or wrong, they'll have some opinion, I'll bet you. Anyway, why is God beating it down? Because he wants it changed. That's all. He wants it fixed. So the hires will be burned with fire and the idols will be desolate. For she gathers it of the hire of an harlot and they shall return to the hire of an harlot. So Israel has gone out and gone through a process. She willingly hired herself out to other nations and made compacts and deals and covenants, contracts with them for defense, NATO, for uh, goods, denying God. He told us that the promised land had everything we would need there in Deuteronomy 8, 7 through 8. So we didn't believe him. And we thought we needed other things. So we went to the Chinese, ultimately, to get all the things we wanted and made there. And the big companies decided they would even move a lot of their operation there because they could make more money there than here. So it became a worldwide greed thing. How is that making us a harlot? Well, God said he would give us what we needed, so we went and hired ourselves out to these other nations, and now where do we find ourselves? We find ourselves with our military parts being made in China. We find ourselves with the things that would need, be needed to fix our electric grid if it went down, made in China. 
and the supply lines are being shut off, and the chips and the other parts we need to build our cars and everything else are made in China, and they're being shut off. And we can't do these things anymore. We are helpless. Because we willingly hired ourselves out thinking we could make a lot of money as a hired harlot to the nations on an economic level. There are girls that fly from Chicago and St. Louis every weekend to Las Vegas as high-class, if there's such a thing, harlots, because they have the physical beauty and desirability that men will pay seven, eight hundred, a thousand, two or three or four thousand dollars for a night or two with them. Make big money. They can make enough money in a weekend to pay for their flight, their hotel, go back home, show up at their job Monday morning, and have padded their bank account considerably. Maybe some of them get 10000 a night. I don't know. I have no idea. But they make big money doing it. That's what we did as a nation. We hired ourselves out for big money and big defense systems and all this stuff instead of looking to God for it. Now, he says, it's going to turn around and all be taken away. And how does he put it? For she gathered it of the hire of an harlot, and they shall return to the hire of an harlot. What that means is she hired herself out willingly for big money while she was young and good-looking, she thought. And now she's going to be returned to the state of a $20 whore. That's what that means. Who has to give, sell herself to even get by. That's what happened in Germany after World War II or even during. The women were hiring themselves out for a candy bar. Nothing more. So she said, yeah, you thought you were a big-time harlot. Now let's see how it feels when I take everything away from you, and the only way you can get a meal of any kind is hiring yourself out cheaply. Therefore, I will wail and howl. I will go stripped and naked. I will make a wailing like the dragons and mourning as the owls. When you can't find anybody to buy your wares, you're stripped naked, available to anybody. Just give me a bite to eat. For her wound is incurable. For it is come to Judah... It has come to the gate of my people, even to Jerusalem. We're wounded to the core, sick to the core, from head to foot. It says, Declare it at Gath, weep you not at all. In the house of Ephra, roll yourself in the dust. Pass you away, you inhabit of sapphire, having, having your shame naked. 
Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, right in there anyway, about how the daughters of Zion walk haughtily and dress themselves all up to look young and beautiful, and how he's going to strip them naked and tear all that pretense off. So Isaiah is just saying here what Micah had said a little earlier. You want to show it? I'll show the whole thing to the world, not just what you want to show, but all of it. He goes on to several of the different cities of Israel at the time, uh, how they're coming down. For the inhabitants of Merah uh, wailed carefully for good, but evil came down from the Lord under the gate of Jerusalem. So, God bless America, some of them are still singing. Good come down from God. That's what that's basically saying. There's a song came out a few years ago called God Bless America Again. We recognized even in the song that God has quit blessing America, and now they're saying, please bless it again. Now he's going to, but it's going to be after all this trouble hits and the punishment comes in the millennium and not until. That's when he'll bless America again. So you can plead for good from God all you want, but evil is coming down. O you inhabitant of Lachish, bind the chariot to the swift beast. (laughs) Beat it out of here if you can, because there's trouble coming. She is the beginning of the sin to the daughter of Zion, for the transgressions of Israel were found in you. Now, he speaks of Zion and Jerusalem, and he is going to raise up Zion and Jerusalem by his remnant people. But when he's in this kind of context, he's talking about the worldly Zion, the worldly Jerusalem. Now, we know Jerusalem is not even a city today. It is has been desolate many generations but the analogy is still there of the leadership of Israel, whether the city remains or not. Therefore shall you give presents to Moreshephgath, the house of Akzib shall be a lie to the kings of Israel. Uh, I think that fits in with Hosea saying Israel or Ephraim is like a silly dove going to the Assyrian for help, that'll do you a lot of good. Same here. Uh, You give presents to some of these people thinking maybe they can help. No, they can't help us. They won't help us. God says we're coming down, and he means it, and it's incurable. He's already said that here. It's incurable. There's no way it can be fixed. There's still conservatives and patriots out there that think Trump's going to come back and fix it, or some hero's going to come fix it. Okay, they can say that all they want. Sounds just like what we're reading right here. Oh, good's going to come out of all this, and we'll be saved by our knight in shining armor. 
No, you know who the knight in shining armor is? Jesus the Christ. He's going to save Israel, but not until she has been absolutely humbled, totally. Then he will come. Donald Trump ain't Jesus Christ, and neither is anybody else who thinks they're going to save the world. The Antichrist, the beast, the false prophet, Satan, no. There's only one who can. And we'd better turn to him with all our hearts, because he's the only answer. Verse 15, yet will I bring an heir to you, O inhabitant of Marishah. He shall come to Adullam, the glory of Israel. That's where I think David hid, was in the cave of Adullam. It was a place of refuge. Is God going to give some of his people a place of refuge? Yes, he is. And he will bring the glory of Israel there. His church, his remnant are going to build a temple. And he says he will come and be the glory of it and live and dwell among us, he says there in Zechariah 1 or 2. Make you bald and pull you for your delicate children. Enlarge your baldness as the eagle. We speak of the bald eagle. Uh, he's brown through the body but white on top, uh, like kind of like baldness. Baldness is not something that people desire. Have you noticed that? Men don't like to go bald, and women certainly don't like to go bald. It's We don't think we're as good-looking. We don't think we're as acceptable. We don't think we're what we ought to be if we go bald. It's just, it's socially unacceptable in that sense. And... It was back when this was written. You remember when David and his men had been shaved? They hid until they grew their beards back. They were ashamed of being bald-faced, looking like women. Here these men of war, and they got a face like a woman. No, grow some hair on it. I'm beginning to feel God intended men to have hair on their face. Uh Mr. Armstrong didn't really go for that because he came out of the business world where everybody shaved, or almost everybody. It was the thing of the day. But if you look at the Bible, the leaders in here all the way through wore beards. Moses' beard and, and God and Christ have a beard. Christ had a beard when he was here on the earth. And God's beard is mentioned all through the Bible. So... I thought, why am I without one? Maybe I should grow one. And I have years ago, and uh, and then shaved it off, and I've been with it without. But I kind of am comfortable with it, thinking, well, that's the way God is. So take that for what it's worth. I shaved mine one time because my wife said, well, you got a choice, hair, face, or kisses. That didn't take too long to figure out, so I shaved pretty quickly. <laughs> but uh, not anymore. 
I, the example all the way through there is hair face, so I'm going to keep one. Thank you. Uh, maybe you don't feel that, but I think it's become, in my mind, at least for me, somewhat of a conscience thing. I, 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 if I were to shave this off tomorrow, and I might want to go hide till it grew back. But whatever. The baldness on the head is not something that is a desirable thing. Chapter 2. Woe to them that devise iniquity and work evil upon their beds. When the morning is light, they practice it because it is in the power of their hand. Do you recognize American corporations and businesses and government right there in that verse? My, oh, my, yes. Uh, are there conspiracies? There are conspiracies all day long, everywhere. If you believe in a government conspiracy, of course, you are a conspiracy theorist, and there are no such things. When two or three people get together and decide to take over a company, that's a conspiracy. When the government gets a bunch of people together and decides to drop a disease on us, that's a conspiracy against us. There are conspiracies everywhere. There are conspiracies between third grade boys and girls to put one out of their clique or remove them from their peer list or their... Today, Facebook list, I suppose. There are all kinds of these things going on on every level of society, and then you happen to stumble across it and recognize it, and they say, oh, you're crazy. No, God says right here, they lay on their bed dreaming up ways to take things away from people. They have been quoted as saying these days, you will own nothing and be happy about it. Right now, we are having the apartment buildings. You know how many apartment buildings there are in the United States of America? Millions. And whoever owns those apartments can't collect rent. And they are going broke. And what is going to happen to those apartment buildings? They're going to be taken over by the banks, the mortgage companies, the big boys with all the money. It is propagated as a way to keep the poor people from going under not being able to eat because they can't pay their rent. No. It's designed that way to take all the commercial buildings away from commercial building owners. And it's also designed, ultimately, to take all the houses away from the people. There's a lot of overlap between Micah and Isaiah. Isaiah 5 goes into how our houses will be taken away from us. We'll build these wonderful houses but not live in them. These these uh, McMansions, as we put it, are going to be taken away. Live in them for a short while, and then gone. 
because they plan on taking over everything and letting us own nothing and getting a little check from the government to be able to eat and live in a tenement house and be happy. That's their intent. That's why Uncle Joe right now is sending out checks to people so they won't work. And businesses are going to go broke left and right. And then those commercial businesses of the smaller people are going to be taken away as well. So apartments, businesses, houses, they intend to take it all and give you a pittance check and make you totally dependent upon it. It's not only their goal and purpose, it's what they're doing to us right now. Woe to them that do this. They lay there and think, how can I take stuff away? How can I get more? How can I make them poor? And then in the morning they come and they do it to you because they can. No morals, no compunctions, no caring about God or His law, no love of neighbor, just doing it because they can. And they covet fields and take them by violence. Bill Gates now owns hundreds of thousands of acres of American cropland. And it's being, all of agriculture is being taken over by huge corporations and they're closing the little guy out. So it's not just buildings, but it's farmland as well. And it's going to become a food crunch like you've never understood before because that's the way you control a people as well. You take their food away and then they will come to you for a handout just to stay alive. It's happening in agriculture. And they're doing it violently in some cases. And houses and take them away. So they oppress a man and his house, even a man and his heritage. The man, the kids. Do they send you $450,000? How are you going to do that? Well, okay, I guess you're going to have to get rid of your citizenship and go to Mexico and put some tannic acid on your face and come back as an illegal alien and they'll give you $450,000, a driver's license, and a green card if you need it, but with $450,000, why would you need it? This thing is so upside down. Does it sound like God is exaggerating it at all? A man and his heritage are getting to the place that American children are beginning to starve to death. Or they're being taken away by violence. Abortion, disease that is put upon them to kill them, and vaccines to kill them, and taken away from their parents and sold into pedophilia. 
was a huge black mark for children today, boys and girls, in the black market. And these child protective services are right in the middle of it, as are the presidents and Congress people and so on and so forth. It's sick from head to foot. Therefore, thus says the Eternal, Behold, against this family do I devise an evil from which you shall not remove your necks. You're not going to get your neck out of this. The guillotine's coming down. Head's coming off. I've heard there's 280,000 guillotines now in America. I don't know whether they say made in China on them or where they got them, but I've read articles that say there are that many. Well, if you got millions of people to kill, you're going to have to keep them pretty busy. Neither shall you go haughtily, for this time is evil. Proud to be an American. That's going to go away. Proud of my flag. That's going away. We can't be haughty anymore. When you have Chinese and Russian and Iranian and who knows what all troops invading the land, taking over, there won't be much pride to be had. We'll be totally humbled. This time is truly evil. Why would we even think about doing anything against God? Why would we? Why would we even consider sinning in any way? When you see what is coming as a result of our national sin, you would think we would straighten right up and never do anything proud, haughty, hasty, sinful ever again. You'd think it. <laughs> but we're weak and human, and we do anyway. And then we go to God and say, please forgive me, for I have sinned. And we're so thankful to have Christ's sacrifice there as a continual offering for our sin. And God is happy to show mercy. He loves to show mercy. He just wants us to be in a position where he can show mercy as we repent. Verse 4, In that day shall one take up a parable against you and lament with a doleful lamentation and say, We be utterly spoiled. It's all over. It's done. It's finished. We have nothing left. And we're not happy about it. The politicians tell us we're going to be happy with it because we'll be all good little communists like we have now in Washington. No, we'll have nothing and be very sad, not happy. He has changed the portion of my people. Do you see it changing before your very eyes? God gave us everything we could possibly need, and we decided we ought to go make alliances with somebody else to get more. But it's being changed right before our very eyes. 
the government says there's no inflation. My son just went to do an estimate. He built a garage some time back, two or three years ago, whenever it was, and it cost him, I don't know how many dollars to build that three-car garage. And now he said, I priced the lumber and the materials, and it's doubled. Absolutely doubled. In some cases, with some things, even more than doubled. But they say there's 2.1% inflation. That's all. Liars. He's changed the portion of my people. Your dollar buys less and less, day by day, week by week. How has he removed it from me? Turning away, he has divided our fields. God has turned away from us, and they're dividing our fields among themselves. The big corporations. The little guy is on his way out. Many have already been put out. Therefore, you shall have none that shall cast a cord by lot in the congregation of the eternal. Nobody can do anything in the churches. They're effete. They're empty. They're dead. They're desolate. Can't do anything. Doesn't do any good to cast a lot to decide what we're going to do because you can't go do anything. Now, that's already happened in the church. We've talked about it in Isaiah 39, about how the sons of Herbert Armstrong would go out and be eunuchs in Babylon and unable to do a work. And try as they might, they can't seem to get it off the ground. Any of them. None of them. It's going nowhere. Prophesy you not, say they to them that prophesy. They shall not prophesy to them that they shall not take shame. Now, what would it good, do, good would it do to prophesy good things because they're not going to happen and you wind up shameful? And then if you talk about the bad things that are going to happen, they say, I don't want to hear it. So, good or bad, <laughs> it doesn't do any good to foretell anything. Well, we can go to God, we can go to Micah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and a lot of places, and we can see what God says and foretell that. And it doesn't matter whether they like it or don't like it, that's what's coming. O you that are named the house of Jacob, is the spirit of the eternal straightened? Are you in a straight jacket? Is it choked down? Does it do any good? Are these his doings? Who's doing this to us? Is it really Satan? Is it really men? No, it's God. God says that. Go through the book of Lamentations sometime and see how, as it goes through and talks about all the horrible things that are happening and going to happen to Israel, and see who claims to be the one doing it. Dozens of times God says, this is of me. I am doing this. 
he asks the question and implying the same thing right here. I'm behind all this because of your sin. I may use Satan to bring it on you like he did Job and other places, but it's me that's behind it. Don't ever think for a moment that this is just a Russian or Chinese or satanic or beast and false prophet thing. It's God behind it all. Eight, even of late, my people has risen up as an enemy. Is our government, is our military rising up as an enemy against us, the people? Yeah, they are. Won't be long till you see American military in the streets, and it's already happening in a few places. National Guard called in, whatever. It's going to get worse. And U.N. soldiers as well. Oh, I, I missed one sentence in there in verse 7 at the end. I want to get that too. Is God doing all this? Then he says, Do not my words do good to him that walks uprightly? He says, You see all this coming, and it's for me. It must be because you're doing evil. Because I bless those that walk uprightly. So you must be doing evil if you're getting this from me. You know, think about it. Why is this evil coming? Because of our sins. My people rise up as an enemy. Not just the leaders, but we as the people fight God. We rise up against His way. We rise up against His government. We rise up in every way. And make ourselves enemies to God. Well, what is He going to do with His enemies? They'll either bend their knees or they'll be broken. That's the way it is. You pull off the robe with the garment from them that pass by securely as men averse from war. So somebody's doing okay and they have clothes and they have a robe and they walk by and you jerk it off them. That's what they're doing to the American populace right now is jerking everything away from us, taking it away. The women of my people have you cast out from their pleasant houses. From their children have you taken away my glory forever. So they are literally going to take away a house from the women and the children. Foreclosures, throwing them out of the street. They're lying when they say, we're not making you pay rent for your good. Sooner or later, they're going to cast them out in the street. It says so right here. Arise you and depart. For this is not your rest. <laughs> because it is polluted, it shall destroy you, even with a sore destruction. If you think somebody's going to save America, and you're going to be safe here, and you can go to your hidey hole or your bunker or your getaway place, 
and be saved, forget it. Isn't going to happen. <coughs> there is only one place of refuge, only one place to hide. And that is under the protective wings of God in Zion. It's the only place. <coughs> so if you're looking for a bug out place, I got a suggestion for you. It's the only one you can come up with. Verse 11, if a man walking in the spirit and falsehood do lie, saying, I will prophesy to you of wine and strong drink, he shall even be the prophet of this people. This people don't want to hear of destruction. They don't want to hear troublous times. I had one of my daughters tell me, don't talk about that stuff here. I'm trying to raise two kids. She doesn't want to hear it because she's hoping it'll go away. She's hoping it won't get in her way of raising her kids. Okay, I understand your concern for your children. I can, I know you want to protect them and help them and love them and feed them and, and hover over them and take good care of them. I understand that. But you're not going to be able to. So what are you going to do about it? I don't say much about that. In fact, I've even gotten to where I don't say anything about the evil that's coming. You don't want to hear it? You've told me you don't want to hear it? I'll shut up. I'm not going to say any more. I'm done. But we can't help parenting sometimes, can we? we got to do our parenting. We gotta straighten them up. We gotta straighten them out. We gotta tell them what's wrong. Tell them what they need to fix. No. It's not gonna do a bit of good. All you're gonna do is make them resist you and not wanna talk to you because they know good and well what you're gonna say to them again. And they're tired of it. So when one of mine tells me I don't want to hear it, I shut up. I'm done. I told you. Now what is going to happen? And where are you going to do? Where are you going to go? And what are you going to do? Now I know that one well enough that I know what happens when she has big trouble. She heads home. <laughs> and then she gets over the big trouble and goes on her outer to do her own thing again. Happened a couple times. But I made it very clear. If you go out there and have yourself a batch of kids, we're not raising them. You did it, you take care of it. I am not going to be a parent again as a grandparent. Unless they're my kids. I've raised two batches already. That's maybe enough. Maybe I'll live to 110 and raise two more batches. I don't know. I can sit here and mouth all I want to, but whatever. The point is, the world isn't getting the message, and our kids aren't getting the message, and the only one who can get the message through to them is God if he so chooses. He may want to work with them in the millennium, he may want to work them in the great white throne judgment. 
and we may be getting in his way by causing a lot of static in the meantime. Now, if any one of mine comes to me and asks me, I will tell them. But I'm not going to them anymore and tell them what they don't want to hear. I want to leave communication open and relationship opportunity open without turning them off so bad they don't want to hear me on the phone. Okay? God loves them more than I do. God loves them more than you do. And he has the power to do with them as he pleases. And we can't do a blasted thing now, can we? Only God can call. Save yourself a lot of grief. Save yourself a lot of heartache. Pray that God will put them in his kingdom in the time that he wants them there. And give them a chance when he sees they have their best chance. Not when I think they ought to do it. Because my kids, if they were called right now, might not answer. They might go the wrong way. They might wind up destroyed because I tried to call them. It's not my job. That's presumption for you to try to call your kids. No. Set an example for your kids. Live in peace as much as possible with all men, especially your children. And don't fight them over the way they are. God is a greater parent than any of us. And he knows what they need, when they need it, and he wants every one of them in his kingdom, and he'll get them there in his own time and in his own resurrection sequence. It's beyond us. So if a man walking in the Spirit, maybe even the Spirit of God, And falsehood, does he say, I'll prophesy of wine and strong drink. That's what people want to hear. Let's eat, drink, and be merry. Don't tell me trouble. Uh, I want to enjoy my job, maybe, my family, my wine, my beer, my car, my golf, my whatever. Leave me alone. But... Don't we like to tell people what they want to hear? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. I can't do that. When I read it in here and it's talking about the world around us, or if it's talking about you and me, I'm going to tell you what God says. I don't care whether you like it or not. Well, I care, but I mean, it makes no difference whether you like it or not. It's what God says, so we're going to hear it. Now, I care a great deal because I want us all to hear God and do what he says. That's where the care comes. Verse 12, I will surely assemble, O Jacob, all of you. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together as the sheep of Basra, as the flock in the midst of their fold. They shall make great noise by reason of the multitude of men. Now, how many is he talking about here? Is he talking about all Israel? Ultimately, in the millennium. 
But the context here is of before the millennium. And he is going to call the remnant of his church together. Now he says there in Zechariah that Jerusalem will be built as a town without walls and much men and cattle there. So he makes it very clear in Isaiah 6 it'll be 10% of what was, as among other places. That's just one that comes to mind. So for 10% of those called of the church, so that's probably in the realm of seven to 12,000 people, I would guess. And I like 7,000 because both Elijah and Paul mentioned it, who had not bowed their knee to Baal. Maybe that fits, maybe it doesn't, I don't know. Just speculation. But to God, in this day and age, seven, twelve, fifteen thousand people is a lot of people. What did he say when he gave the Ten Commandments? That he would bless the thousands of them that kept them. And he gave them to millions at the time. <laughs> but he knew there'd only be thousands that kept them. So when God looks at this earth and he sees how wicked it is in this nation and how wicked it is, and if there's 7,000 that haven't bowed their knee to Baal, he's going to say, wow, that's a lot of people. Elijah thought he was the only one left. And God said, I got 7,000. And Elijah says, wow, I didn't know that. That's a lot of people. When you think there's only one. So the remnant of the church here is 10% basically of what was in the church. It'll be 10% of what is left, the 10% that is left of physical Israel at the beginning of the millennium. So again, all of this is dual, but we have to apply it in those sections that are showing how he's going to work through the church to do part of his end-time work. That's what we have to see in here. His little flock. Christ's little flock. The breaker is come up before them. They have broken up and have passed through the gate and are gone out by it and their king shall pass before them, and the eternal on the head of them. So, there is a little people, a little flock, and he mentions the flock of Basra, that he is going to give peace to, and he's going to lead them, and take care of them, and give them refuge, even as the nation comes down around our heads. I mean, the, the whole context here basically has been the destruction of all Israel. Now, the only spiritual Israel has already gone through this, so I'm not emphasizing that as we go through it again, because what I went through and preached in the Minor Prophets series the first time has accelerated and has happened, and there's very little left. It's dead and gone. Now, we're looking at it overall from the standpoint of the nation 
because it is now beginning to go through what the church has already gone through and been decimated to 10% who are going to show up to build a temple in Jerusalem and do the work of God here at the end. So in the millennium, it's a repeat of that, 10% of physical Israel left to establish the millennium. So we have a little millennium ahead of time with a very few people, which God calls many. How many did he start the apostolic church with? Twelve plus a few that hung with them, about 70. How many did he start the end time church with? I guess you'd say basically two. He called Loma a little ahead of Herbert and worked with those two, and it slowly began to grow from there. So when it got up to 130, 40, 50,000 people, that's a lot of people. Compared to 8 billion, it ain't much. But compared to 2 or 3 or 5 or 10 at the beginning, it's a lot of people. So look at that in terms of the church that way and in terms of the nation a little bit differently. Well, we're down to about out of time, so let's stop there for today. Probably enough doom and gloom for one day anyway. But every day is doom and gloom, isn't it? Every day we read the news today, it just gets worse and worse and worse. And there is no stopping it. Our wound is incurable and our punishment is certain. So turn to God. You've already suffered the punishment of the church. You've already suffered it. Now let's straighten up and not suffer the punishment of the nation as well. Let's be taken out and protected from that and do God's work.